Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Um, you know, younger generations are rejecting organized religion. I mean, every poll seems to prove it or show it at least, yet they're, they're still hungry. That generation is still hungry for something that makes their life worth living, still hungry for purpose. And Bishop Robert Barron is tapping into that hunger and is focused on helping young people um, return to the faith. In fact, he's raising funds to provide a college freshman with copies of the Bible, the Gospels, as a way of well, to help thwart sort of the losing of faith during those very crucial college years. Now, Bishop Barron is the founder of Word on Fire, Catholic Ministries, and Bishop of the Diocese of Winona, Rochester in Minnesota. That's my neck of the woods, actually. He's also a number one Amazon bestselling author and published numerous books, essays, and articles. He joins me now. Bishop, thank you so much. It's been it's been a long time trying to get you on um, Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk today. Well, thank you very much. Good to be on with you, Lauren. So uh, first of all, I want to talk about the Bible giveaway um, to first-year college yeah. students. How did this come about? Well, we did, we're in the process of doing this Word on Fire Bible, and what it is is the entire Bible, the text of it, but accompanied by beautiful art, and then commentary from the whole tradition, going back to the ancient world, coming up to modern times. And the idea was for people, you know, pick up the Bible and say, all right, this is too complicated, I don't get it, or it's too hard to read. (laughs) It's a way to just kind of gently draw them into the biblical world. So the volume we're giving away is the Gospels. Volume one is the four Gospels, Mm -hmm. but accompanied by all of this art and all this commentary. It's also printed in a way that it's not like, you know, the little double column and footnotes and hard to read. Mm-hmm. It's designed to be easy to read physically, and then it's meant to open up the Bible um, spiritually, artistically. So, you know, we're really proud of it, and we wanted to get that into the hands of as many uh, um, freshmen as we could. What happens in college that so many young people lose their faith? Well, I mean, it's the culture today, which I've called the culture of self-invention, you know, that it's Mm -hmm. all up to me, that I decide my values, I decide what's right and wrong, it's my voice that matters, don't tell me what to think. And that's just, I mean, the the young people have been soaking in those assets from the time they're little kids. And I think certainly at the universities, that's the default position intellectually, is Mm. I make up my values. And therefore, the institutions, especially religion, that represent objective value, that says here's something that really is objectively good or true or beautiful, they're seen as oppressive. So we, we tend to use the categories of, you know, like oppressor or oppressed. We see freedom as the supreme value. So that anything that proposes an objective value to our freedom is seen as restricting our freedom. I think the kids have already taken a lot of that in at the universities. They get that in spades. Mm -hmm. And the enemy, the principal enemy of that view would be religion. Um, And so on a regular basis, religion is sort of mocked and vilified. And, you know, they're told it's intellectually irresponsible. And I think that's what's happening in the universities. Well, what can parents do, though? I mean, I know that they're sending their kids off to colleges. This is their first taste of freedom where no one's going to tell yeah. them to go to bed at a certain time. Yeah. No one's going to, you know, have any rules. Um, they're pretty much on their own. So what do you tell parents, you know, to tell kids when they go off to college? Well, you know, to some degree, I think all that's fine. And what you're saying is true. It's good for a kid who is 18 to, okay, now I'm on my own and mom and dad aren't telling me what to do and I got to find my own path. But freedom is never a matter of just pure self-determination. It's it's a kind of disciplining of your desire so that you can be oriented toward the good, you know, mm-hmm. and I, what college is supposed to do in my judgment is to expose kids to the good and the true and the beautiful to kind of teach them how to direct their freedom. 
if I can put it that way. Yeah. It's not freedom kind of disassociated from value. It's freedom ordered to the right values. I think of, this is not really religious, although it had an implication of that for me. When I was at Notre Dame my first year, so I'm 17 mm -hmm. years old, mm -hmm. he was a great professor, Dr. Leader. He was an artist himself, but he taught a course in um, Western art, like an overview of mm -hmm. Western art. And I took it because it was required. And, you know, it was one of these rooms full of like 300 freshmen. And, <laughs> but he showed us, this is way back when, he showed us slides, you know, that he had taken of the great buildings and cathedrals and paintings and sculptures of Western art. Mm -hmm. And I loved that class. That class opened my mind and soul up in very profound ways. He wasn't telling us, hey, just decide whatever you think is, is right. He was showing us, look at, look at the richness of our, of our Western intellectual and artistic tradition. And that set me on a path that I've never left. So wow. I, to me, that's the purpose of college is to order our freedom toward the good and the beautiful. But that's not. I don't think that's really what's happening in colleges. I mean, I think no. there, there, you know, there is, there is a generation that was raised sort of on this idea of of, of rampant individualism that I decide yeah. what's right and wrong, wrong for myself. And now they're passing that philosophy on to younger generations in colleges. And many people accuse that them of being, you know, indoctrinating kids. What's your take on that? Well, it is a kind of indoctrination. See, I mean, the option is not between our oh, religious indoctrination and then, you know, pure freedom. There's always some default position, right? Yeah. So the, the secular materialistic default position is what we've been describing. And that indeed is indoctrinated, I think, into, into kids. And I think we have to stand athwart that. We have to, we have to oppose it. Um, I think there's a very tight correlation between this massive disaffiliation from religion and the spiking numbers in depression, anxiety, yeah. suicidal ideation. And that's been shown now over and over and over again. Young people are sadder than they've been in a long time in our culture. But to me, it's not at all surprising. If you say there's no God, you come from nothing, your life has no purpose or meaning, you return to nothing. Uh, it's just whatever you make up for yourself while you're going through the world. Well, that to me is a recipe for deep depression. Yeah, deep right. Anxiety. And well, then what's the, what's the point? It seemed harmless to a lot of people like, oh, let's disaffiliate from those, you know, those crooked and corrupt religions. But I mean, granted, there's a lot of crooked and corrupt behavior in the right, religion. Right, right. Hey, because they're, they're... only God has to work with sinful and faulted people. That's right. all he's got to work with. Well, precisely. But what happened was a baby in bathwater thing. So you say, OK, I want to get rid of all that corruption. But in, in the process, what you got rid of was objective value, objective truth and the supreme value and truth in which all these goods and, and truths find their, their place. In other words, God. And if God's out of the picture, no ultimate purpose, no ultimate meaning. I'm not, I didn't come from anywhere. I didn't go anywhere. Uh, that's a depressing worldview. Um, and I think religious people have to get into the fray and to, and to propose in an intellectually vibrant way, another view. Yeah. We have to create a new default position that used to be in our culture, the default position of a religious view. Right. But that's gone, I think, largely for young people. When you I mean you've been in universities and and you know is in a philosophy class, is there any idea that says we're going to be worshiping something, right? Or does yeah. that sort of never come into a college-level philosophy class, um, because one of the things you get from theology and doctrine in 
um, in Christianity is that you were meant to worship. You're going to worship right. something. It's not. Right. It's not a. It's not a choice of whether you worship. It's a choice of what you worship. And that's precisely right. Yeah, that's and, the biblical view. And and the, the battle but, is not between religion and non-religion. It's right. between what type of religion. Uh, the Bible would call it idolatry, false worship. There are loads of forms of false worship around today. I mean, uh, the the worship of one's own ego and freedom, the worship of of wealth and power and privilege and honor and so on. Those are all idols. And yes, indeed, you're exactly right. Everybody worships something because you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning unless you did, unless there was some supreme good that you were ultimately seeking. You know, so if you say, okay, I got out of bed this morning because, well, I had to go to work. Okay, why do you go to work? Well, I got to make money. Well, why do you want money? Well, because I want to buy certain things. Well, why do you want those? Well, to help my family. You know, just do that analysis and you'll come at the end to some unmoved mover of your will, right? There's some good that you say, well, that's ultimately why I got out of bed this morning. Mm. That's what you worship. And that's a really important spiritual exercise to find that. What is that for you? The Bible would say, unless it's God, uh, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, that's, a, that's a way to sum up the entire Bible, I think. Yeah, False then, worship leads to deep spiritual trouble. But that's the problem, I think. If, if in We call it indoctrination in colleges, but if they leave out that little bit, tidbit of information— that's mm-hmm. enough to put somebody on a whole different trajectory. Yeah. No, quite right. Quite right. Uh, and if we were honest about that, instead of saying, okay, now I, I'm just, I'm against religion. I'm for, you know, freedom or whatever it is. You know, everyone's for religion. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's right. got a religion in some way. So which one is right? Now, I would say, let's have a vigorous debate about that. I, I think we, I, I speak now of Catholics, we've dumbed down our faith for way too long. Uh, we presented the faith in a way that's just not very intellectually compelling. And we've got a very rich intellectual tradition. I would say jump into that arena, jump into that fray and propose to young people a different vision of things. Uh, let's have a good fight about this and not allow ourselves simply to be marginalized. Um, you know, every generation, have you, have you, by the way, have you seen or heard of the Jesus Revolution movie, you know, starring sure, Kilsey? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think one of the, the biggest things that, that came out of that movie for me personally was just the idea that they made, he said, you know, every generation has something through which they are trying to find salvation. You know, yeah. you know that generation rejected their parents' uh, form of faith. And I have to, you know, criticize a lot of the mainline Protestant churches because they took a lot of the divine, a lot of the spiritual aspects um, the miracle aspects of Christianity out of Christianity and kind of mm-hmm. made it more like, you know, the Lions Club or something like that. Right. But 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 their faith but um or the faith that they were taught is not being applied to their their struggles. You know, what is what is today's generation's struggle? You know, what are they dealing with that through which they are trying to find salvation? Well, I, I think what we just talked about is very close to it, is the struggle is what the culture proposes to them as a supreme value, which mm. is their own ego and their own freedom. And it's the culture of self-invention that it, that is like a desert, you know, mm. to use biblical language. It's just an arid space because the little world of value that I can invent for myself is just puny and deeply unsatisfying. And um, I think that's, as I see young people struggling, it's just to find meaning. We all want it. And they're going to find it in some way. They're going to find it in some ersatz form of ultimacy. But, um, you know, we have to propose the, the proper one. But I, I think that's the struggle they're having. 
Uh, you know, you could say against institutional religion. I mean, I get it. That's from the time of Paul on. I mean, yeah. There's always been right. trouble with institutional religion. That's why, to me, that's a bit of a cop-out. And I say it fully acknowledging you know, all the terrible problems we've had as Catholics in the last 30 years. You know, obviously terrible problems that had to be addressed institutionally. Yeah. But I think it's an excuse to say, oh, that's why I'm not going to be religious because there's so many bad, you know, uh, right. priests and bishops. Um, that's kind of a cop out. Yeah. You know, what, you know, the issue, though, of gender seems to be yeah. kind of a litmus test yeah. for faith in today's generations. Do you see that happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you, you talk about religion today, a lot of the classical things come up. You know, people, how do you know there's a God? Uh, mm, why yeah. is there suffering? Why is your religion right? I mean, th those come up a lot. But then today, uh, it's gay people and transgender people. Why Why is the church so cruel to gay and transgender people? Yeah. So that comes up a lot. And I think, yes, for younger people, that is a very pressing uh, concern. I mean, I know that the Synod is uh, is coming up, and it's sort of the synodality, yeah. and, and it's been hard to define, and people are now working to, to try to let people understand what it's all about, because we're coming up uh, in just a few weeks, really, um, this gathering in Rome. But yeah. but but one of the things that the criticisms that has become um, more vocal is the invitation to, I think, Robert James Martin, uh, Bishop Martin, I think, James Martin. Um, or James Martin. James yeah, Martin, bishop, um, who has priest, been yeah. a number one advocate yeah. for the LGBTQ community. Um, and mm -hmm. that there, a lot of people are very upset that the Pope has kind of given him sort of this 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 high position to talk about yeah. the issues. Um, what is your take on that? My take is <laughs> we have not defined the word welcoming. So that's a word that's used all the time, all across the board. We mm -hmm. want to be welcoming toward uh, gay people or transgender people or whatever. And I always want to say, okay, could someone please define what you mean by welcoming? Mm. And I'll give Jim Martin his, his due here. His book, uh, you know, Building Bridges, he says explicitly in that book, I'm not opposed to the church's teaching. I'm, I'm not advocating to change it. I'm trying to find ways to build bridges to people who feel alienated from the church. Mm -hmm. And I say, great, fine. If by welcoming you mean that, like I, I want to convince everyone, like, you know, the Pope did that in, in uh, Lisbon. I was just there 10 days ago on right. World Youth Day. And his famous homily where he's saying, you know, who's, who's welcome in the church? You know, todos, 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 everybody, everybody. Well, yeah, of course. Everyone's welcome in that sense. Like we want to invite you to share the life of the church. But I think for a lot of people on the left, welcoming means, well, then your lifestyle is just fine. And, and we right. totally approve of, of your lifestyle. And the church seems to me can't say that. Uh, that's why I don't like the word welcome so much. I like the word love. So love means to will the good of the other, right? So the church is loving toward everyone. The church reaches out in a loving embrace to the whole world. Right. Absolutely. It's the it's the Bernini colonnade in Rome outside yeah. St. Peter's. It's like two great arms reaching out. Yes, but love means to want what's really good for you, what's objectively good for you. So that doesn't mean I just affirm everything you're doing and saying. It mm. might mean I'm going to deeply challenge what you're doing and saying. So I, I prefer love or compassion or charity language to welcoming because welcoming is too vague. It's a It's a cultural term. That's very fluid and open-ended. Well, um, we're going to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back talking with Bishop Robert Barron.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash lighthouse today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help help.com slash lighthouse betterhelp.com slash lighthouse and we are back at lighthouse faith podcast talking with bishop robert Barron, who is probably one of the most i i shouldn't say popular priests i guess i should can say that but probably one of the most well known um and we're talking about really reaching the younger generations and we were talking about this generation's um sort of litmus test of gender and gender identity as part of the reason why they kind of oppose a lot of the church. And we're just talking about Father James Martin, who wrote a book about, you know, uh, bridging, uh, the church bridging, you know, and welcoming um, people of the LGBTQ community. But one of the things you talked about, and it's very, very important, is that the media gets stuck on the word welcoming and thinks it means affirming. Approving. Approving and affirming. And they never get into the deeper issue of the doctrine or theology um, and this is a problem um, for the church. And I think it's a problem for, for, for Pope Francis because he then constantly gets his homilies misunderstood or his meanings misunderstood, right? Yeah, you know, he's when he's pressed on it, he usually clarifies. And even like on yeah. the gay issue, he's, he's addressed it many times and said, well, you know, I, I mentioned who am I to judge and he a couple other times that he broached the subject. And he usually clarifies. He did it very recently, I think, on the on the trip home from Lisbon, yeah. where he said, you know, yes, all are welcome, but once you're inside the church, then you're called upon to live according to the norms of the church. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's that's exactly right. People often just hear the first part of that message and not the second part, and that's where it gets problematic. Yeah, and you know, I, I get it. As a you can be a theologian, you can be a pastor. There's two different roles in a way. The theologian wants to be kind of clear and make the right distinctions and honor all the nuance. But sometimes when you're a pastor, you know, you might you might intuit what this person needs right now is is above all that stance of welcome. This person needs, you know, a compassionate embrace. Now down the pike, we're going to start making more clarifications and demands and so on. So I think at times the Pope is speaking much more in his sort of pastoral mode. Um, and less a theological mode. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you were at World Youth Day, a huge yeah. gathering in Lisbon, Loved Portugal. It, yeah. uh, you spoke, what, four or five times, I think? or f- Five times. Five yeah, times, yeah. A lot of speaking. Um, and I'm sorry I wasn't there. It was just was not in the budget um, <laughs> for yeah. us. But you did what – was, what, what was the biggest moment for you speaking to thousands of young people yeah. and World Youth Day? It was – the best moment was um, speaking to all the American or English-speaking kids. It was in a big park in the north part of Lisbon. I, and they estimate, I think, about 15,000 were there. And we had Eucharistic adoration, and then I gave a kind of a 20-minute homily. 
in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. And I talked about a lot of the themes we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I used the road to Emmaus story, you know, as my starting point. And, you know, here's two people in that story walking the wrong way. They're walking away from Jerusalem. So I said, that's, that's all of us. That's all of us sinners. And when Jesus joins them, I said, there's the Pope Francis moment, you know, that we accompany yeah. sinners. And even when you're walking the wrong way, the church falls in step with you, you know? And then I said, it's the listening theme. <laughs> they say, the Lord says, well, you know, what are you talking about as you go with a kind of faux innocence? Um, but it's the church saying, okay, we're willing to listen. Even as you're walking what we think is the wrong way, we're going to listen to you. But then I said, um, at a decisive point, the Lord stops and he begins to teach. And indeed, in a blunt way, when he says, you know, how foolish you are, how slow to understand. Mm -hmm. And then he opens up the scriptures to them. I said, well, that's the church too. It, it accompanies, it walks with, it listens, and it teaches, sometimes in a very decisive way. And then finally, it's in the breaking of the bread. It's in the Eucharist that he becomes fully uh, visible to them. And then I said, finally, the Lord disappears. And he disappears into the mission of the church. So once we recognize the Lord, now we know who we are. So they're, they're going the wrong way to begin with. But then through the mediation of word and sacrament, yeah. they now understand, okay, now I know what my life's about. I'm not just wandering around following my own instincts. I now know what I am supposed to do. And so they go back to Jerusalem full of fervor. So I said, that's the, that's the model, I think, for young people today. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, came out of um, the crux now, like, you know, John Allen's um, website talking yeah. about it's nice World Youth Day, but are we going to what happens after World Youth Day? Are they going to yeah. be able to come back into their communities, which are, are not always receptive to the claims of no. Christianity? Um, are they going to be able to be as fervent and um, passionate about their faith in that community and hold to their faith and be resilient, as Pope Francis called them to be? That's always the challenge, but and that goes back to, go to the the great revivals in our country. You know, the preachers go up to the 20th century and Billy Graham. So people go to the Billy Graham Stadium and he gives yeah. this stirring homily and they give their lives to Christ. Okay, then what? Yeah. And Billy, you know, I say to his great credit, always had representatives from the churches, including the Catholic Church, yeah, to receive those who had been stirred by his homily and say, okay, now you know, continue your your Christian journey. But that's always the challenge we face. So World Youth Day is kind of our version of that. You know, let's get a million young people together and rev them up and give them inspiring sermons. And now what? You know, so they return to the parishes. That's one of my challenges as the bishop of this diocese, for example. We had well over 100 kids from my diocese that went over. Okay, now what? As they come back to their parishes, will they just be met by, you know, a, a bland or uninspiring mm -hmm. liturgy in the community? So that's that's always been the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to. Um, we could talk for hours, but I want to get to um, the actor Shia LaBeouf because he converted oh, yeah. to yeah. Catholicism. Um, yeah. He played uh, Saint Padre Pio uh, recently mm -hmm. in a film. Uh, he is obviously played in the Transformers, and this is a this is a young man who it kind of blew people away that he converted mm -hmm. to Catholicism, but there was a process by which he converted. And yeah. your talk with him on your website is really fascinating because he's very raw about where, yeah. where he was spiritually, you know? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know him well. I, I met him out there. He was uh, in my pastoral region when I was out in California because mm -hmm. he was researching the role of yeah. Padre Pio. He went to this Capuchin monastery that was in my region. 
And so I, I ran into him during that period. And the, I'll tell you, the most, to me, the most beautiful part of that story are the Capuchin friars. So these, some young, but most of them older, most of them probably didn't know, you know, Shia LaBeouf from Cab Calloway. I mean, they, they didn't really know who he was. And, but they, they saw this young guy who was struggling and questioning and they took him in and they, you know, they treated him kind of like as, as one of their own and they talked to him and they instructed him, they listened to him. And it was the Capuchin friars that really, I think, brought him more deeply into the faith. And then I heard him, I know what it was. He showed the film, an early version of it. And I was part of that group. And afterwards he spoke so movingly of the process of his conversion. So mm -hmm. I went up to him and just said, you know, would you be willing ever to tell that story on, on camera? And he said, yeah, sure. And so it was one of the very last things I did before I left California. We sat down for what, an hour and a half and yeah, he was raw. But he was also articulate and uh, it touched a lot of people. That, that video touched a lot of people because they, they saw him as, yeah, here's a, you know, a famous person, but a, a guy who struggles and he's not a, you know, formally religious person, but yet he, he found the faith so powerful. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that opportunity. One of the things that really struck me about that conversation with him is how he said he never had a moment of silence in his life. He was always mm -hmm. on the phone, um, yeah. texting or watching and just a mm -hmm. product of his generation. And it never occurred to me, being in a different generation, that they have not a lot of opportunities or they don't take a lot of opportunities to be silent and to listen. Yeah. I'll tell you, this is um, the very first time I met him. I was out there and I was giving a talk to our deacons on prayer. And Shia was there. He'd gone to Mass that morning. And he, he saw me and said, would you mind if I sat in on this talk? And I said, no, sure. So I gave this talk on the kind of the basics of prayer. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the features was silence and um, the blessed sacrament. And so then after the talk, I said, okay, let's all, let's all pray now for like a half hour. So I want you to go do whatever you need to do. Well, I went into the chapel and sat in front of the blessed sacrament. And about five minutes later, Shia comes in and sat down next to me. And, you know, when you pray before the Blessed Sacrament, you're not saying anything. You're not really doing anything. Yeah. Uh, you're just in the silent presence of the Lord. And I remember afterwards, he said to me something like, I, I don't know what was going on or what I was supposed to do. And, and I said, well, that's the whole point. You're, you weren't <laughs> supposed to do anything. You just sit there. And um, But I love that about him. He was always very direct and had very frank questions. Um, but the, the real heroes of that story are the Capuchin Friars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think another one last point about this is, too, is because it's not like he didn't have an opinion about religion. He actually had a lot of opinion about religion oh, yeah. <laughs> before he converted. And he and he actually challenged people. He had his talking points, you mm -hmm. know, and he believed them. And then it was such a it was such a, you know, interesting narrative to understand that that's, you know, people are not without a faith. They just don't believe your faith. And now they're going to challenge you. And he didn't even know why mm -hmm. he was challenging except to yeah. sort of defend his position. Yeah. Well, Padre Pio got to him. You know, I mean, we take seriously the communion of saints and the saints playing a role in our, and that's a classic thing. I can tell you so many stories about Padre Pio influencing people and, and inspiring people, and in some cases appearing to people. I just think he did have a very active role in, in Shia's conversion and playing him. I mean, and the way, you know, Shia is that kind of actor, kind yeah. of a method really emotionally into it kind of actor. And he did that with Padre Pio. Well, that's that's going to change you. Yeah. 
I want to move on to something that I know we could talk about in young people and the idea of marriage, about gender and about Mm -hmm. abortion. But there's something I think that every young person is going to face which challenges their faith or makes them pull away from faith. And it's not just young people, but people of all ages. It's the pain and suffering. Pain and yeah. suffering, and yeah. I have a um, I have a friend, and I don't want to mention names because I didn't actually ask her before. But yeah. um, one of the things she has, uh, she's a mother of like six children, and her um, a few years ago, her 15 year old son just died, um, suddenly died, and it wasn't drugs, it wasn't you know um, an accident, it was um, a heart condition. Yeah, and um, her faith actually was solid, but her oldest daughter's faith just went away and an yeah. angry yeah. faith, an angry, you know, God can't say anything to me kind of faith. Right, right. What do you say in those situations when someone, the faith that they grew up in, and they were Catholic, the faith that they grew up in can't, can't um, comfort them, can't make sense to them about what just happened, this this sort yeah. of sudden death. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the oldest problem in the book. In some ways, I believe this, that all of theology is a function of theodicy. You know, So the attempt to, to explain evil mm-hmm. and the existence of God, theodicy, that all of theology in a way comes from that problem. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, too, in all the surveys uh, among young people, is there a God? How do you know your religion is the right religion? And the third one is this, is the problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's the perennial uh, problem up and down the centuries. Yeah, first, I'd make a the distinction I made earlier between the pastoral and the theological. So how you respond pastorally to that person, usually it's um, it's in silent solidarity and a promise of prayer. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the pastoral response to someone who's going through that kind of suffering and wondering about God. Usually at that stage, words and arguments and clarifications aren't very helpful. Um, and again, here the book of Job is super helpful, you know, where Job has all his, his suffering, his great crisis, and his friends come, and at first, they just sit with him right. in silence for several days. Good. That's a good instinct. The trouble is they all start talking. <laughs> and when they started talking, that's when, when Job and eventually God got upset at their bad theologizing. But so pastorally... Friendship, solidarity, silence, uh, prayer is is the right, I think, move. But let me just say something simple anyway about the theological. Um, and yeah, I'll take my, my cue from the book of Job here. Mm-hmm. The question, you know, and you just phrase it this way and the way we always phrase it, is designed to kind of put God on his heels. Like, okay, justify yourself. How could you possibly have permitted or done, you know, whatever the this is? Where the biblical instinct... Is, is to reverse that and put us on our heels. Um, you know, when God says to Job, where were you when I made the heavens mm. and the earth? Where were you when I fashioned the dawn? And where were you? You know, that, that why would we expect that we'd be able to understand fully and in detail the purposes of God? God who is infinite, first of all, that means incomprehensible. I, I can't possibly get my mind around God. Yeah, I, I yeah. can't define God. I can't compare him or contrast him. I can't put him in categories. So God is incomprehensible. And then more to it, God is a person. So he's an incomprehensible person. 
and persons are always mysterious. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know you in a very superficial way based on a, a couple of conversations based on, I could, you know, Google your name and find out data about you, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I, I know a few bits of data, let's say, but if I were even to speak of knowing another human person, that's that, that, an infinite abyss in every human heart. And the person has to reveal herself. She has to, to speak on her own terms and in her freedom. Now, take that and and raise it to the infinite degree to the infinitely incomprehensible personality of god mm. who is moreover dealing with all of space and all of time so why would we ever think we should be able to understand in detail the workings of god you know now i'm not going to say all this to someone who's suffering right, right? the the, the the proper pastoral move is silence and prayer and solidarity and all that. But at a, at a greater remove from the issue, when we can kind of think it through more dispassionately, that's the biblical instinct, I think, is to turn it back on ourselves. Like, why would you think that this should become lucidly clear to you? Why, let's say this, this wonderful, innocent, great kid who, through no fault of his own, has this heart defect and, and who dies— and makes his family miserable. And well, I, yes, I, I get it. I mean, I, I suffer in the same way, but why would we think we'd understand how that permission fits into God's overall purpose and design? Um, that's a more theological sort of musing on it. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith podcast. Um, I, we've oh, run out pleasure. of time. I want to thank you so much. It's been a really um, wonderful conversation, and I reserve the right to have you back to talk about the Senate oh, love it. later yeah. in a few weeks because we need to understand what's going on. And I know yeah, you're going to be a part of that. Just a few weeks, you're right. Um, no, I'll be happy to. And so I think it'll be help to clarify what's going on and and help people understand what Pope Francis is hoping to have happen during that Senate yeah. in Rome. So, um, uh, Bishop Robert Barron, thank you so much again. Um, your web, your uh, ministry is Word on Fire, right? It's wordonfire.org they can go yeah. to? Uh-huh. There's, the there's a lot of conversations, and you want to see that uh, conversation with Shia LaBeouf, I would highly mm -hmm. recommend it because it really is fascinating, really fascinating. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks, Lauren. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. God bless you. And uh, thank you for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.